Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas, you're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 71 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. And guys, the college football playoffs are finally here. This Sunday afternoon, Alabama ranked as the number one seed. They're going to take on Washington. Uh, And then we have also Ohio State, kind of a controversial pick, taking on Clemson in the college football playoffs. And uh, before we dive into the college football playoffs, we we want to note that we are going to speak with uh, Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle here in just a few moments on the U of H coaching search. And uh, obviously Tom Herman leaving, it leaves a void. Uh, U of H coming out this past weekend, denying any interest in our brows, but uh, a, a great discussion with Joseph Duarte here in just a few moments. But guys, college football playoffs, I'm pretty sure uh, we all did horrible in our preseason picks. I think the only team out of the four that I got correctly was uh, Clemson. And yeah, the rest is just disaster. I think I had Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, didn't I? No. Bull, sh- bull snarky. What, what do we say when we don't swear? I, I think so. I, I remember having those three pretty clearly. I'm not sure, but you also had, I had U of Houston. H. You yeah, also had Houston U of was H. my fourth one for sure. Yeah, I was just saying, I don't, I don't think I got any of those right. I might have had Al- Al- Alabama. In, so. I'm pretty sure you went with Alabama because you also went with Alabama last year. Yeah, so well, it's essentially right. the yeah. it's essentially the Alabama invitation. It's a chalk pick. Yeah, right. yeah. No, I, I think I think I got three out of those four, and frankly, Houston should have been there. We had a couple of missteps this season, uh, but really, if all had gone well, I think that I would have gone four for four. Uh, I blame Tom Herman. Do you think that if U of H just had one loss this year? Do you think they would have gotten in? What's what's the loss? Uh, let's call it Navy. No. Actually, I can't. I, now that I'm thinking about, it, I can't envision a scenario in which they lose any one of those games and end up in the top four. Yeah, there. So I, I would say no. But do you? Okay, U of H runs the table. Do they get in? I, they should. Now that'd be a conversation worth having. I would think that certainly they'd be deserving. I don't know what's in the mind of the uh, committee, but uh, but I think that you'd have to put them there. Yeah. Right. Could, do you take an unbeaten Houston over an 11 and one Ohio State? That, or that's a, a good Washington. Question. I mean, you look at strength of schedule, and obviously Ohio State has that brand recognition, which is kind of another reason why uh, I'm, I'm a little bit baffled that Penn State didn't get in, although they do have two losses. When I look at the two teams, I clearly see that Ohio State is the better team, although they lost on a head-to-head, uh, you know, matchup. But there was also a blocked kick, so it's not like you know Ohio State was blown out in that game. Uh, but you know, the fact that they didn't even win their own division, they didn't win their own conference. And they're the number three seed in the playoffs. I can see why Penn State fans are a little upset at this point. Oh, a little upset. I'd be really upset if I were Penn State. I mean, you have a program that's come back from what they went through here a couple of years ago. And to be snubbed in a college football playoff, I mean, I sort of know the feeling here. Uh, Baylor a couple of years ago was snubbed along with TCU out of the college football playoff. Obviously, went on to embarrass ourselves in the Cotton Bowl, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think P- Penn State fans have plenty of reason to be upset if if I were in the Big Ten. I mean, right now, uh, in fact, uh, the commissioner of the Big 12, Bowlesby, is asking, you know, I want an explanation for why Ohio State is in the college football playoff. And I think a lot of this has to do with money. And that's that's that, you, as you were saying, Ohio State has that brand recognition and can bring more eyes to the TV set. Right. So Bob Bowlesby is not only asking why Ohio State made the playoff, but he's asking why Washington did, because their non-conference schedule, awful. Portland State, Idaho, Rutgers. And so when the college football committee, you know, rails on Baylor for two straight years or having a weak non-conference schedule, and then they reward a team like that by putting them in the playoff. And then they go on to say two years ago that the 13th data point is the reason why Ohio State got in the playoffs ahead of either TCU or Baylor. 
and then they throw both of those out the window this year. I mean, there seems to be there needs to be some transparency with the college football committee. I mean, we're just giving these answers. We don't know what goes on in that room. And I think that fans deserve to know that, you know, especially if you're a fan of Penn State right now. I mean, the argument that Ohio State is a bigger brand and travels better is ludicrous. I mean, look, in Happy Valley, you have one hundred and twelve thousand screaming people. They've been a program that has been hurting the last five, six years. They're going to show up for that game against Alabama. Now, on the bright side, I think the Nittany Lions would have probably been blown out by Alabama, so maybe there's a little bit more of a reward that they get to go play in the Rose Bowl against USC. Uh, but, yeah, the whole thing to me, it, it's a little frustrating, and I, I do wonder that if U of H had gone 12-0 with wins over Louisville, wins over Oklahoma, where would they be? Cotton Bowl? One would hope. I, I, I would hope that you've, you know, I, I think that as time goes on, people are going to recognize that there is an inherent bias in the college football playoff committee as much as they like to try and pretend that they're not biased. Um, this is a perfect example of that happening. And I think uh, Penn State fans, along with all college football fans that don't belong to one of these blue, quote unquote, blue blood fan bases deserve to be a little upset. Here's what you do, though. I like the idea of transparency, and with transparency, I think you have you get some cameras in the room. You basically turn it into a reality show, like a Hard Knocks-style documentary in which every uh, minute portion of their consideration process is detailed, investigated, and uh, and shown, and then you you know sell airtime. I think it's, you can create more money that way. That'd be a great deal for ESPN or one of these big networks to put on. I would watch it, certainly. I think if the editing were creative enough, and it could be pretty dramatic. ESPN would love that. They love to make money. I mean, they have an hour show revealing the rankings. It doesn't take an hour <laughs> to reveal these rankings. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a great idea. We should produce it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, can we can we trademark that on the air? Is Let's that do it. You heard it here first. Yeah. So if anyone comes up with it, we'll sue them. We have talked frequently before about how litigious we are, and uh, we'll make good on it. So that is our idea. We'll be pitching that. You're not allowed to take it. As a matter of fact, we should delete this entire thing. <laughs> Let's not forget that ESPN is losing a lot of money. They're losing a lot of subscribers. There was a big news story that broke here earlier this week about where they lost like another half million subscribers. So we talked about this it. is about yeah, this, th is, this about is new. They lost another half million this yeah, month. No, like oh, this, again? This is, this is yes. brand new. Yeah. Oh my god. No, so it totals like two million over the past. Yeah. I don't know so many months. It was already so, historic. Right. Right. And so it would make sense that there might be this pressure on the committee to select teams that are going to bring it, sort of recoup some of that money lost. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point, but. You know, when I look at the playoffs right now, I think that all four teams, I think those are the four best teams in the country. Um, I, I'm still not convinced that Ohio State should be the three slot. I think that if you don't win your own division or conference, I think that you should automatically be given that four slot. But I totally know why the committee did that, because they hope that it's an Ohio State Alabama matchup because, that you know, that's a ratings goldmine right there. Uh, but let's look really quickly at the point spreads. Uh, the Peach Bowl, that's going to be Alabama against Washington. The line open at 14 and a half. It is now over 15. But here's my question for you. Washington obviously looked very, very good against a, uh, a tough Colorado team beating them 41 to 10 on Friday night in uh, Santa Clara, California. But Chris Peterson, the head coach, you might remember him from Boise State. When he gets a month to prepare, you know, as an underdog, he does well. I mean, he knocked off Oklahoma a few years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. He's beaten Virginia Tech. Uh, he has the, you know, the prior experience in big game situations to come up and pull the upset. Does he have any chance? Does Washington have any chance of slowing down Alabama and perhaps stealing that game? Yeah, I think they do. I, I think Alabama, like a lot of big teams or like a lot of big blue bloods, they tend to underestimate their initial opponents. I mean, this happened a couple of years ago 
Um, well, they underestimated Ohio State the first year of the college football yeah, playoffs. Yeah, exactly, and they, they, they consistently do that, and uh, I think I think Washington can absolutely knock them off. I saw a very, very good team play a very, very good Colorado team the other night. I was actually disappointed to see how, how poorly Colorado performed, but I think it's because Washington does have what it takes to be on the national stage and compete with a big-name team like Alabama. Kevin, does Washington have any chance? I have not watched a single down of Washington football all season long. So I couldn't tell you. I, I, obviously, I know what I read. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's a very sanguine outlook, but but considering I haven't seen them firsthand, I couldn't I couldn't honestly tell you with a straight face that I know it's going to wind up. Okay, so let's take the other game. You've got uh, Clemson and Ohio State. That's going to take place at the Fiesta Bowl. I think that's a great matchup right there. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to see uh, how Deshaun Watson can do uh, against an Ohio State team that has been – you know, good all year. I don't know that they've had any overly impressive wins. I, you know, I don't think the Michigan win was overly impressive. They lost to uh, Penn State, obviously, but who do you pick in that game? Ohio State is a slight favorite. I sincerely hope Clemson blows out Ohio State, and that's only because I hate Ohio State with every fiber of my being. Uh, I'd say right now it's a complete toss-up. I have no idea. Uh, I would say probably instinctually I think Ohio State's probably the favorite uh, just because they, they have what it takes to kind of grind it out with big teams and long games like that. So I don't know. I, I really hope Clemson, you know, uh, surprises all of us and really, you know, takes it to them. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, Ohio State is a three-point favorite right now. Uh, I think Ohio State probably – gosh, I think they're, I don't know. I, I, I really would like to see Clemson win that game. I would love to see, I, I just think whoever wins that, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I think all three of the other teams that are in the playoff right now are, are possible. They can potentially give Alabama fits because they all run up-tempo offenses and Alabama struggles with that. You know, if you run the ball, they can stop you. You know, that, that they stopped Leonard Fournette and LSU. I mean, that's why I picked LSU to win the SEC at the beginning of the year because I figured that would be the difference maker. But th that defense for Alabama is phenomenal. But they haven't really been tested through the air. The games this year that they, uh, you know, face those up-tempo spread offenses, those were Texas A&M. That was Ole Miss. Those were games that they struggled with, you know, for better part of a, a half and, you know, leading going into the second half. So I just want to see a good playoff. But, man, Nick Saban, he's just got a dynasty. And I'm... I, you, you can't look past what he's done. He's a Hall of Fame coach. Absolutely, yeah. But I, here, here we go. I, I would bet on the best quarterback here. Obviously, Alabama is a force of nature to be reckoned with, but I think Clemson's going to win it all. I'm going here right here on the record. I think Clemson's going to win both games here, and they are going to be your champion at the end of the year. I, I would love to see that. Deshaun Watson, great program. Clemson, they deserve it. I mean, great fans out there in South Carolina. In fact, there was an article uh, this past week that suggested that Clemson, South Carolina, was the number two football country, football city, in the entire U.S. Really? What are the criteria? What do you mean by that? Because there's obviously many, many larger cities where football is most beloved. Yes, that's where it was, quote unquote, most beloved, which I was a little surprised. I, I would have thought that, you know, some cities in Texas might yeah, be they ever been out the West that Texas? list. Yeah, exactly. Like Permian or something yeah. like that. Uh, but Green Bay, number one, I think that makes sense. Uh, but Clemson ahead of NFL cities was a little bit surprising to me. So I think their fans deserve it. And Kevin, I, I hope you're right. I think I'm going to either be pulling for them or Washington uh, in this playoff. And 
we'll see what happens. But uh, in other college football news, and again, we're going to have Joseph Duarte on here in just a few minutes from the Houston Chronicle. In other college football news, uh, Baylor heading to the Motel 6 Bowl, the Motel 6 Cactus Bowl, I believe, out in uh, Phoenix. They're going to take on Boise State. and it's a uh, prestigious bowl. It's a prestigious bowl. Oh, yeah. that, that's, that's punishment. Yeah, going ba- Bears going 6-0 uh, and to start the year, and then 0-6 to uh, finish the year. It's a nice uh, palindrome there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, your U of H Cougars, uh, Todd Orlando is going to be leading them into Las Vegas to take on a pretty good San Diego team. Sin City, baby. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that matchup, certainly. And I hope they, you know... There's been a lot that's been going on. I think it would be a great salve for this city, be a great salve for the school, be a great salve for the kids that are still committed to that program that are suffering, obviously, although they're doing it quietly like good soldiers. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they really need a win there. I think, like you mentioned, it'll be a competitive game, of course, but I do think that Houston has to be the favorite in that one. You would hope, but, you know, there's also a lot of distractions, and so you don't know how that can play into the to the game because, you know, they were heavily favored against Memphis, and I think the distractions surrounding, you know, that game before with all the Tom Herman rumors, I think that... Whether the players want to admit it or not, I think that got into their head a little bit. But Jeremy, Boise State, 10-2 on the air. Does Baylor even have a shot in this game? I mean, they always have a shot. You know, uh, bowl games bring out, you know, the weird, the weirdness, the weird good and the weird bad in teams. So I, I have no idea. To be completely honest, I think that the coaches checked out um, the fourth quarter of the Texas game. So I would continue to expect that that's what they're going to do. Now, here's my question. Does Baylor name a new head coach this week? And does that new head coach coach the team in the bowl game? Probably not, no. but who knows? Yeah, No, you, you definitely let Jim Grove finish a job because you can't install a new offense with only 15 days of practice. I mean, that's just absurd. My question is, do you see any of the uh, potential coaches on the Baylor staff leave? No, no, they, they are all... Uh, in the words of Saley Levy, they have one foot out the door, and they have made that no more clear. I, I did see a little bit of fight yesterday on uh, that disappointing loss to West Virginia. I, I did think that the coaches were trying to show their next employer that they are competent, but uh, unfortunately didn't pan out for them there in Morgantown. I, I don't know. You know, when, when I'm thinking about bowl games, I, I think it's just sort of, you know, I, I hope no one watches the game because my expectation is that Baylor is going to get blown out. But I'm hoping that for the sake of the players and the seniors that are there, that they do actually show up and put up a good fight. Yeah, that that would be nice. But uh, before we dive into more college football bowl games, uh, our Baylor Bears again beat another top 10 basketball team yesterday, blowing out Xavier. That's four top 25 wins, three wins against top 10 opponents. Baylor has eight wins on the season for those over the top 25 with an average margin of victory at 12.5 points. So the Bears rank number nine right now going to move up again. And it's just a very exciting time. And it's good for the school after having such a disappointing year. But uh, Kevin, one other thing to discuss on the college football front. There are two five and seven football teams in the bowl season. Yeah, that's a little bit absurd but not as absurd as some of the bowl names. Yeah, I get annoyed with parents and people and fans of sports in general who say things like, you know, oh, we're a participation trophy culture and we give kids, you know, awards just for showing up and not for winning and so forth. That annoys me, but but sort of... Um, uh I guess, in a strange reversal, I really hate the fact that everybody gets to go to a bowl, right? I think that really should be something special. So I'm just like the people I hate in making this argument. But there's a number of ridiculous bowls. How many, what was the count at the week? It was like 60? It's around 40 right now. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's at 40 maybe. There it's at 40. 40 it feels bait. like about 140. So, I mean, that's that's definitely an issue for me. And there's a number of really weird ones here. Uh, the sponsors are out of control. GoDaddy? You guys remember GoDaddy? How do. is that, first of all, how is that still a company? Second of all, how do they have the money to sponsor a bowl? Tax Slayer? 
Uh, not a great bowl name. I mean, there's too many of these damn things, and uh, and I certainly would like to see fewer of them. What would be the ideal number for you guys? That were to where it means something that you go, but you get enough that there's a full holiday slate of bowls to watch in order to enjoy football. Because I mean, really, these bowls a lot of times feature teams that are terrible matched up against other teams that are terrible, and they're just not enjoyable to watch at all. What's the ideal number we can settle on? So there's only a handful of games that I'm not going to watch. And, you know, typically it's like the New Orleans Bowl. There's not really an enticing, I don't want to watch like, you know, the the sixth place team in the, um, you know, the Conference USA take on the fifth place team in the MAC. Uh, but games like, for example, the uh, the Bahamas Bowl the last two years, it's been absolutely insane. Not typically a game that you'd want to watch, uh, but Old Dominion, I believe they're heading to the Bahamas Bowl this year. But I don't know. I'm a football guy. I love being able to watch football pretty much at any time of day during the, you know, the holiday season. But I think you sh- it should be something special. I, I don't think, I think you should have a winning record before you're invited to a bowl. So I think that means you have to go at least seven and five to get a bowl game. I don't know. Maybe do you reduce it to 30 bowls? I would say 25. You get 50 teams there. I would say outside of what you could pick is like the top 50 ish teams. And obviously it's not done by ranking, but, but you kind of look at that. that's a good solid number for me. I don't really enjoy watching teams beyond that 50 mark. I mean, if you're the, the 55th best team in college football, then I, you know, I, you're not, I'm not going to find you particularly entertaining. So to me, I think 25 would be a perfect number. Yeah. And I think that rewards the teams that actually do have a winning record because you get an extra 15 practices, which mm-hmm. helps you immensely heading into spring football. Sure. Uh, but I think it makes it more fun for uh, the entertainers, or I guess the the audience, the people that are watching. But you know, another thing is Battle no, Frog no, Festival. That was another one. Yeah, by the way. nobody goes to some of these bowl games. I mean, the Texas five A state championship game. I believe it was last year, or maybe it was six A at the time. Uh, they had about fifty to fifty five thousand people watching a high school football game in the state of Texas. At that point, I think it drew, outdrew something like seventeen bowl games. I mean, so high school football in the state does better with attendance in some bowl games. I mean, to me, I think that's an indictment. And the quality the of the product is arguably better a lot of times, too. Right. Know? Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, fair. That, that does not at all surprise me, actually. I mean, this is college football. High school football is a religion here in the state of Texas. Um, yeah, so here, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. That would make me clergy. If, <laughs> uh, I don't know these, that anyone said that. If, if, if these bowl games make money, they're going to continue to exist. Um, my, my thing is I, I've, I've seen the operations of at least one bowl game for a couple of years, and they don't always make money. So I actually am kind of curious why some of them continue to exist because as we just pointed out they're not always watched or attended um i remember the fiesta ball here a couple years ago when baylor went we were sitting on the baylor side it was pretty well filled out but for ucf they actually handed out tickets to local school children to come and attend the games i mean it was that bad uh it was so yeah i mean even in a place it's probably a write-off i mean that's a that's a new year's six bowl and they're like half you know because it was ucf no one showed up so, yeah, I, I think there are way too many bowl games. I think it lessens the, uh, the sweetness of going to a bowl game for good teams that deserve it. Right. I think that's fair. Marmot, Boca Raton Bowl. That's another one. A nice place. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Is it Raton? Did you say Raton? Boca Raton? I think it depends on where I like you're from. the sponsor, though. They make good stuff. Do they? Yeah. Marmot? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm vaguely familiar with the company. I'm more familiar with the actual Marmot. Do you mean the animal? Yeah. Yeah. The vermin, var- varmint? They, they chirp a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, 
college football playoffs coming. We'll have more. Too many of these teams. Yeah, we'll have more on the uh, the head coaching carousel as it kind of heats up. We expect both Baylor and U of H uh, to probably name head coaches this week. Uh, so we'll dive into that as we uh, you know find out who those head coaches are. But we uh, recorded with Duarte uh, two days ago, which would be what Friday. Friday. And and fortunately, nothing happened. We were kind of crossing our fingers, making yeah. sure we didn't have to call him back. So everything we talked about with Duarte still, still very accurate. current. Yeah. Uh, but another big event this week before we head on to that Joseph Duarte interview was the uh, Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, and that goes to LeBron James. And uh, guys, is is that the right decision for SI? If, is, it, is it Sports Person of the Year? Is that what they're calling it? Sports Person of the Year. Oh, I, the article I read said Sportsman of the Year. I mean, I'm looking at Sports Illustrated. I believe right now. you. I'm yeah. not accusing you of lying <laughs> at all. I can't see your screen, but I, you're a fairly honest person. Interesting that they changed that. I know they've referred to it as Sports Person of the Year before when they've had a woman. Uh, I think Pat Summit won it. Uh, few years ago and, and that was when they did but anyway, i think totally deserving i love the story the being down three one bringing a, a championship to cleveland which was insane i mean kind of making good he was the story of the year in sports i think so i i would not have picked anyone else i couldn't even imagine anyone else being deserving of the award in this particular calendar year what about like uh you know a guy like chris bryant who was the uh, mvp for baseball this year with the with the cubs you know, they were down 3-1, brought a championship to a championship star city that hadn't won since, you know, uh, the early 1900s. Does he get a look? I mean, what about some of the Olympians like, you know, Katie Ledecky, Michael Phelps, Simone Biles? Simone Biles is throwing in there. They actually wrote an article kind of defending their choice, I think. And those are some of the names that were brought up. I mean, yeah, the Chicago Cubs story is good. Uh, no question about it. But have you been to Chicago recently? I have. Yeah. And, you know, have you been to Cleveland recently? No, I haven't. It's not any different than the last time you went. It's still terrible. So, I mean, I think there's more incentive there. It means a little more to the city of Cleveland than Chicago just because there's so many more uh, pleasant things to do in Chicago. That's fair. Yeah, but you wouldn't pick that simply because of the city that they're from. I mean, I think Michael, like, I, I'm, I'm much more preferential to Olympians. I mean, look at Michael Phelps. I mean, the most decorated American Olympian in history. I mean, no, not only most decorated American Olympian, sorry, most sorry. decorated Olympian, period. period. Yeah, he is not the sport. I mean, is, is there some criteria where he could, like, get it next year? I mean, is, is, even though the Olympians. He'll be retired. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like Michael Phelps deserves some kind of recognition long term from every institution that credits itself as, like, Sports Illustrated. so That's fair. But what about Simone Biles? I think he's the High Times uh, Sportsman of the Year, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> he has been for many years running. That could be fair. But what about Simone Biles? I mean, she is a, a local product from Spring, Texas. She is the four-time defending world champion of gymnastics. Uh, she was all gold everything. I will, If you're picking a Houston Sports Person of the Year, I think absolutely. Uh, who would you pick over her? James Arden. Really? Based on what? His fast start this year? Yeah, it's very early in the season. He hasn't accomplished anything besides, I mean, being off to a historical start, which is great. We may talk about that in a minute. We may not. We'll just leave you hanging. But <laughs> uh, but no, Simone Biles actually, uh, you know, conclusively accomplished something, has been for years. I think she's more deserving than James Harden, although I hope that Harden uh, gets to a point this season where you might actually consider him for that award. But just at this moment in time, I'd say there's no question you'd pick uh, Simone Biles over James Harden. So do you pick the athlete based on the impact of their sport because at the end of the day nba is way more popular than swimming it's way more popular than gymnastics i mean does that factor into this well i mean for me i think there's a lot of things going into it i'm not sure exactly what their criteria are i actually have it written down here it purports to uh be to the athlete or team whose performance that year most embodies the spirit of sportsmanship and achievement 
So two parts there, sportsmanship and achievement, which is why I think we'll look at some of the people they picked that didn't really uh, embody sportsmanship for me necessarily. But uh, but no, I, Simone Biles actually achieved something. James Harden has yet to. Uh, he's achieved very um, ephemeral great statistics in a few early season games, including the win over the Warriors, triple-double, which is amazing. But but that's not uh, anything conclusively. It's not a championship. It's not even a Western Conference Finals. Right. And, and just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying you know James Harden should win over... LeBron James. I think that's absurd, but I'm just saying if you're looking at sports person of the year within a city, it's just hard to get that over Biles. No, no, I, I don't think so. I think I think Biles is the pick. Is there anybody else even? Are those the only two we're considering? I, I think you can look at like Simone Manuel, who was the first African woman female who won uh, gold in the swimming pool at the Olympics. I mean, she came away with, what, two gold medals and a silver or something like that, but she had a phenomenal uh, run. I mean, she's from the city, so she could potentially be on that list as well. Yeah, although I think Biles just reaches a little further, oh, her absolutely. accomplishments a little bit greater, but yeah, also a very deserving name. The point being that in Houston we have a very uh, deep uh, pool of athletic talent. And that's good. Harden, obviously not a local product either. Plays for the local right. team, but I think it means a little more to have Simone Biles, who uh, I think grew up, you know, about... Yeah. 15 minutes from where I grew up. So, I mean, right. she's, a, she's a product of Houston and, and we're proud to have her as well. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see Simone Biles in that running more so than LeBron James. And I, I think, I mean, if you're talking about the impact of the sport, I think, I don't know, the NBA to me, when I think about the Olympics and sort of the far range impact the Olympics has and sort of our national image, I think a Michael Phelps or Simone Biles makes much more sense uh, to be uh, the sports person of the year rather than LeBron James. I think LeBron James is a fantastic athlete, obviously. Uh, done a lot for Cleveland, but at the end of the day, I just don't think he uh, beats them out. He's also socially conscious, socially active, you know, a guy that uh, is part of these big conversations we're having as a culture. I love his role in that regard. You know, I've always loved the athletes like that. Muhammad Ali is one that comes to mind. I wouldn't put James in that same category necessarily. No, no chance. Uh, but hey, he might get there. You know, he, he's, he's becoming sort of an elder statesman. He's not even that old, although his hairline certainly looks uh, to be that of a much older man. <laughs> but that's a sign of a great basketball player because when LeBron's hairline started receding, that's when he started winning championships. It's just a sign of testosterone, I think, right? Isn't that what leads to it? I'm not really sure, but it's that old, it's that old men's strength coming Fair in. Fair point. Yeah. Are old men strong? Oh, yeah. You know, when it's you a phrase. Like, when you hit like 40, you get like much stronger and you're able, I mean, seriously. Have you ever, Is that, have like you ever gone to like the Y and play basketball against somebody that's like 40, 45? I mean, they are dirty down low in the post. But they're just dirty. They're not any stronger. <laughs> that's why they're dirty because they're losing their strength and virility. Well, uh, vitality may have been what I meant there. Virility shouldn't factor into a basketball <laughs> game. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the most undeserving Winner's sports person of the year. And Kevin, you got a list. Yeah, it's really not as good as I would have hoped. Time has picked much worse people of the year, but uh, but, but we'll have a chance to probably get into that because I imagine Donald Trump will probably be person of the year. Yeah, given some of their previous picks would not shock me. Um, and, and I'm sure they want to suck up to him so they can get some access when he's in the White House. But uh, so here we go. I'll give you some of the ones that jumped out to me as just being really bad picks that they probably wish they had back if they could have had these picks. Tiger Woods leading the list because he was picked two times in 96 and 2000. Now, I don't think that Tiger Woods is a terrible human being in a deep-down, evil sort of sense. I don't really believe in goodness and evil anyway, even as concepts. But even from the cultural perspective, uh, you know, he cheated. He had uh, sex addiction, whatever you want to call it. Um, but certainly very tawdry, very public stuff. And I Yeah, but in, but in 1996 and 2000, he wasn't listed as doing that kind of stuff. I don't even think he was married at that point. But 1996, he was so young and ran away with the Masters. I think he deserves that. In 2000, I believe yeah. he won three majors that year, including the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and he just blew away the field in record fashion. So I think those are fair points, and I couldn't tell you exactly... What was it? 1996 was probably the home run race, or was was that 97? I believe that was 1997 was the home run race, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think those are probably 
fair picks. If you're if you're also looking at 1996, maybe I throw in you know Michael Johnson in that list. I mean he he won the uh, the 200 and the 400 set world records in both. You know especially making those huge headlines with the golden shoes if you remember mm-hmm. the golden Nike forcing. shoes that uh, you know essentially told the USFC that okay we need to start protecting our sponsors because I believe Reebok was a sponsor and you know he's wearing those Nike shoes at the Olympics uh, front cover of like Time Magazine Sports <laughs> Illustrated everything yeah. completely ticked off Reebok because Nike you know Stole the show. Um, but yeah, I don't have any problems giving it to Tiger in those years. Yeah, well, I'm not saying that he wouldn't deserve it at the time. I'm saying that in retrospect, in retrospect. these are not okay. great people. And whatever, you know, obviously Tiger was just some things he's not proud of. Um, but Lance Armstrong in 2002. Yeah. I think that, that might be, we'll get into some of the other ones here. That might headline the ones yeah. that you wish you had. Especially after he like sued people yes. and destroyed their lives. Reputations went after them and basically used all of his money to bury people. I mean, he's, he is. I think widely regarded now as a monster of a human being, and rightfully so. But yeah, if he we, wants to come on the podcast, we'll bring him on. Absolutely, I will talk to any monster. If Donald Trump wants to come on this podcast, I'll have a conversation with him. He won't like it. He won't enjoy it. But I'll talk to the guy. I don't know. I, I, I think you might walk away from that conversation not liking it more so than Donald. But uh, Lance Armstrong, a ter- I, sorry, I just want to chime in here. A terrible human being. I read a lot about all the destruction he caused. I me, mean, former AIDS and these things like that. He had like AIDS? No no, 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 like former AIDS. <laughs> Guys, you heard it here first. Lance Armstrong has AIDS. According to Jeremy Paxton, sources. Former yeah. AIDS, like campaign AIDS. Or he like had AIDS and he was cured of AIDS. That is astonishing. Right. You I've heard, never heard such you, things. You heard it here first. <laughs> Kurt Schilling in 2001, which Kurt Schilling, again, uh, you know, there are things, obviously. He had that Facebook post comparing Muslims to Nazis. Uh, that's not a very proud moment. He's just generally kind of been a controversial figure that has said a lot of stupid stuff, I think. Ironically enough, uh, he's actually been kind of, or at least has fashioned himself to be a watchdog for racism and other people while being uh, a pretty racist uh, moron himself, I think. But if you look at the sports, 2001, he won three games in the World Series that year for the Arizona Diamondbacks after, you know, knocking off the Braves and came, or not the Braves, sorry, the Yankees in yeah. seven games, and I think he deserved it that Achievement, year. Achievement, yes. Sportsmanship, uh, in retrospect, I would say, uh, not like a shining night for... Uh, See, I have behave. hard times trying to say, uh, you know, that somebody did something now and you have to look back and say, okay, 2001, that was a bad choice because... No, I'm not saying it was a bad w- choice in 2001. I'm saying, looking back now, is that really the guy you want bearing the standard? I don't. Who else are you picking? Two thousand one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm mean, just. It's fun to make fun of people for mistakes they couldn't have helped. Fair po- That's fair exactly point. what I'm doing here. And uh, 1990, Joe Montana, uh, not a terrible human being, but he did have a funny story as I was looking into these guys. So uh, he was obviously a Notre Dame quarterback, and uh, his teammate. Uh, forgive me if I. Daniel. How do you say the kid's name? Rudy. Rudiger. Yeah, Rudiger. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've seen the movie before. It's been a long time, and I was not sober that time in my life, so I don't remember it very well. But uh, he kind of threw some shade on the movie Rudy, the story of Rudy, which I thought was fascinating as I was looking into this. He was on the Dan Patrick show. This was like six, seven years ago. Uh, he said that no one was chanting Rudy's name during the final game uh, of his career, which served as a climax of the movie. And then uh, he said when the teammates picked him up, carried him off the field on their shoulders, it was actually more of like kind of mocking him, and they didn't really like him or appreciate him. It's not a tear-jerking moment. So he really ruined that movie for a lot of people, I think, with that interview. That's about the worst thing I'd say about Joe Montana. And he's a drunk, but that's not really <laughs> a character failing, I don't think. And then 1986, I think, is going to be the one that takes a cake. This is probably the worst human being on this list. Um, anybody want to take a stab at who it might be? Mike Tyson. Uh, was Mike Tyson was actually never one of their sportsmen of the years. I think because he was always such a mess, such a toxic <laughs> kind of person that he never the, the 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 achievement never really balanced out the sportsmanship part of it. So I did not see Tyson's name on the list when I was going through it. Uh, not Tyson. Good guess though. Let's see, 1986. Can we get a sport? Is it a? It is a big. Is it a major? college football? College football. 
this is a uh, this is a uh, uh, I don't want to give away too much. Here, uh, a coach, a coach, Barry Switzer. Nope. Joe Paterno. And again, at the time, a perfectly reasonable pick. Although now, knowing what we know, I think probably of that list, Lance Armstrong, you can make a good argument, but he did not sanction, you know, uh, child abuse. So uh, Joe Paterno, 1986, probably wow. retroactively the worst of those picks, I would imagine. I think that's a fair point. So LeBron James, you know, not really that controversial this no, year compared to some not. of those guys. And that is not the point of this. Right, I'm not right, comparing right. any of these people to LeBron James. I think he is actually a very decent human being from what little we can see from the outside looking in. Very deserving of the award. But as I was kind of listening to that and some of the controversy surrounding he should have picked this, should have picked that guy, I wanted to see who were their worst picks. And I think those are probably their five uh, or four worst picks. Joe Montana's not a bad pick. He just had a funny Rudy story. Yeah, so very interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, our bakery of the year, we deserve without question. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I don't know who else would even be on that list because uh, they are peerless. Uh, well, I mean, certainly we would say our least favorite place of the year is Ruggles. Oh, are we still are we still openly shitting? On them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have to mark the time. For Always. That. Yeah. We're not fans of Ruggles. They are monsters. Don't go to Ruggles. Uh, but do if you're a person that goes to Ruggles and now you have to stop because we told you to stop. Go to We Desserts. OUI Desserts. 3411 Kirby. It is the holiday time of year. You're going to need some snacks, right? Uh, pies. People eat cookies. People eat cakes. People make cakes for special occasions. They also have some sort of um, French thing. You know, I'm not into the French thing. Very much. Yeah, well, there's that. But there's like a log, like a French. Have you heard of this Christmas log? I haven't. It's a French Christmas. It's not the name of it. I'm completely forgetting it, getting it wrong. Penny has told me I'm a moron when it comes to anything culinary. But they make anything you need for any holiday party or occasion. You call We Desserts. You ask them, hey, what can you do for me? And they will they will uh, come up with a customized uh, dessert plan for you. And, and maybe they can... Uh, Prorate the payment? I don't know. I'm completely making stuff up here. But certainly you can get something delicious at We Desserts uh, anytime you like this holiday season. Yeah, so make sure to stop by 3411 Kirby here in Houston. Tell them the guys at the Weekly Bruce and Jubayo. Get 10% off of your entire order. Uh, but, you know, we have a great show coming up here in just a few moments. we got a great interview with Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle. He covers U of H athletics. Uh, we dive into the coaching surf a little bit, and it looks like U of H is probably going to name a head coach this week. So you'll get some more information, inside scoop from Joseph here in a few moments. But without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax. Be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us now on the Weekly Brew podcast is Joseph Duarte, who covers U of H athletics for the Houston Chronicle. And uh, Joseph, thanks for joining us again on the show. And you know, for those that might recall, you last joined us on episode 29 back in February. And I guess there was a little bit of controversy surrounding one of the questions that I asked you, which was in 2018 that Tom Herman will be the head coach at blank. And you obviously answered the University of Texas. And I don't think Cougar fans were uh, happy with that answer, nor my question. But I'm kind of curious, you know, we've had more than a week to reflect on Tom Herman leaving the program. And did the Cougars ever have a chance to keep him? Or was the lure of a premier Power 5 job too much despite – Tillman Fertitta essentially saying that he would give Herman a blank check. Well, I think, first of all, the the date that will go down in history of probably when Houston lost uh, Tom Herman was October 17th. And I, I want to make sure, I believe that's the, to the day, uh, because that's the day that the Big 12 decided that it was not going to expand. And that pretty much, I believe, uh, set things in motion for Tom Herman to, at some point in the next few months, make his exit, which he did. And that was just, it was his dream job. And the guy took a job that, yes, Houston was going to do everything it could financially to match Texas, but in the end, everybody was right. It wasn't about money. It was about a chance 
for a coach to, uh, whether you like it or not, how he did it in terms of telling players or keeping people in the dark or speculation, he took a better opportunity that he felt there's a clear path to a national championship that just you can't get as part of a group of five school like the University of Houston. So in the end, no surprise. Uh, I thought it quickly developed from the end of the regular season to when the announcement was made. But uh, when a team has its – or a school has its target in mind, and that target is willing and ready, there's not a lot that needs to be said but, you know, dotting a few I's and crossing a few T's. So I, I'm very familiar with the fallout from the fans. Obviously, some uh, enterprising fan updated Tom Herman's Wikipedia page to read Thomas Judas Herman yesterday, which I thought was pretty amusing. But I'm more curious about the fallout with the players because I know Ed Oliver initially tweeted and then deleted something to the effect of, like, why did you lie to his coach? And I've seen some other kind of things like that. But publicly, they've all said, hey, it's a business. We understand that. We're adults. We wish him well. Just from talking to the players, and you don't have to name names or anything, what's the general sentiment that maybe they're expressing privately amongst themselves or at least to? Uh, to you and not publicly? We'll give you the timeline immediately after the Memphis game. Well, actually, before the Memphis game, you know, Tom Herman did a, a TV interview where he was pressed about uh, what his future was like. There was deals that he was close to LSU uh, taking that job. There was uh, the question was asked, have you instructed your agent to do this? And you could tell Tom Herman was very uh, aggravated by the line of questioning before kickoff. After the game, we talked to a few players, and, and one of them, Chance Allen, the wide receiver, who I believe his comment has really kind of taken off in, in, the, in the week since Tom left, was that Coach Herman told us he was going to be with us no matter what and that he had not negotiated with anyone. I don't think the negotiating part was, was inaccurate. I think he never did negotiate up until after that Memphis game. Uh, but it was kind of interesting because Tom Herman had the senior captains talk to the team before the game, kind of calm the nerves a little bit, and let them handle it. And then in the days after, you start seeing some of the tweets come out. I've talked to some players privately who have said that a lot of the younger guys took it really hard, the ones that were part of the H-Town takeover, part of this first recruiting class. A couple of them privately told me they felt that it was handled very poorly, it should have been done differently. But again, then you get the players who go on the record and in public, and the only ones that have been made available to us since the end of the season are the captains, and they have posed a united front supporting Tom Herman, saying that they were surprised a little, uh, not really shocked, and that they wished him well, and that there were no hard feelings. There has been some noise I've seen on your timeline. Obviously, we recommend that everybody that listens to the show follow you, Joseph. I think you're a great follow on Twitter. But but you've talked a little bit about uh, kids decommitting, or, or, or I think Tulane's gone after some players that are committed to us. Obviously, there's a lot of flux, a lot of shift with Herman outgoing and not knowing who the head coach is going to be yet, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but how big has that blow been? Because I've seen two for sure confirmed that I'm aware of, which is not as bad as I perhaps thought it might be, losing you know a hot name like Herman and not knowing who's coming up. How, how, how big has that shock? or aftershock been so far relative to what you expected it to be? Well, it was interesting because in the days immediately after, a, uh, a U of H staffer came up with the idea of a, a sort of H-Town takeover social media blitz. It was called Band of Brothers, and the, the D was replaced by the 1-7 for this 2017 recruiting class. And it really took off. They had a poster that had all of the recruits' photos on it. And the recruits were retweeting it, and it looked like this one big, great, you know, 
family reunion, everybody was happy and, and looked like things were good. And then the, the next day, uh, one player decommits, and then another a couple of days later. But for the most part, you know, this was a 20-member class uh, before that. They're still at 18. Uh, if anything happens, I, I think, <laughs> I hate to say it, but the worst may still be to come because on social media this week, Tom Herman and his new staff at Texas, which includes right now four Houston or former Houston assistants, they're coming into East Texas. They're coming into Houston, and they're recruiting those same guys that Tom Herman felt were Houston-quality, worthy recruits. They're now being – some of them are being targeted to go to Austin. So, you know, if you're a recruit and suddenly you go from being recruited as a three-star to the University of Houston, now you're being recruited to go to the University of Houston, uh, University of Texas. Uh, that may convince a couple of these guys to uh, to jump ship. So right now it's two. I think at some point they lose a few more. Th- that begs the question. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, coaching turnover at U of H in the past decade. Obviously, with Art Bryles going to Baylor, Kevin Sumlin heading to Texas A and M, and you know, even though Tom Herman was here for just two years, it seems like he had a greater impact on the U of H program uh, than either Bryles or Sumlin had, especially when it comes to facilities getting built. So, my question for you is: When you look back on Tom Herman's two years at U of H, did he leave the better? Did he leave the program in a better spot than either Sumlin or Bryles? And or is that still? Too too early to tell with you know possible decommitments on the horizon well i i think each one of them uh especially art browse and tom herman uh should, should get credit for a lot of things when art browse took over houston they were coming off of a, a decade of the 90s that houston football was irrelevant i mean they had winless seasons uh, it was just a program that was spiraling you know downward he comes in takes them to four bowls in five years, wins a conference USA title, and then he gets the Baylor job. A lot would say a lot of people would say that Art Browse left the program in great shape. Then Kevin Sumlin comes in, uh, kind of rides the momentum, really has them to the point where they could take that next step. Uh, they were on the verge of a, a BCS bowl, but at the same time, that same week, he's negotiating to take the Texas A&M job. They lose that game. So you can make the argument that while he maintained the consistency, what could have made his, I guess, mark or legacy at Houston, he fumbled by how he handled the the Texas A&M situation. Then you have Tony Levine, and most people, say, if you ask them, they want to forget that completely. So we won't even talk about him. And then you get to Tom Herman. So Tom Herman inherited a stable program, but just the facilities weren't there. They were starting on the new football stadium, but a lot of the other stuff, you know, the, the Athletic Alumni Center needed improvements. It needed updating, even the, the stuff on the walls. He came in, made Houston look like a Power 5, even though they weren't a Power 5. He pushed to get the indoor practice facility. That's going to open next August. The operations building, even though Tom Herman is not here anymore, will eventually happen. Maybe the timetable is not ex- accelerated anymore. But he'll get that. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that Houston is now in position, thanks to to Tom Herman and some of the other coaches, that even though the Big 12 didn't work out this time, uh, if another conference comes calling, they, they should again be at the top of the list. 
you know, on that note of, you know, potential suitors from other conferences coming in, as a lot of our listeners know, I'm a Baylor grad. Baylor has a, a coaching vacancy right now. But, you know, when I look at the two job openings at both U of H and Baylor, uh, you know, I see the, the facilities that Baylor has built in the last five years. I see the facilities that U of H is looking at and, you know, currently constructing. But, you know, the difference is the conference affiliation. So if you're a head coach right now uh, looking to either, you know, for a job at Baylor or U of H, which one is the more attractive job at the moment? Well, the one that's less toxic is, is Houston, and for obvious reasons, you know, Baylor's the next coach at Baylor is going to have a tremendous task ahead. And, and, and Jim Grove's done a great job to at least calm a little bit. Now, I'm not saying he's been perfect because there's been some things that he's completely uh, fumbled on just the representation and, and just, you know, the stuff with the guy who was in the locker room after the Rice game. But he came into a really bad situation. The next coach will, will still have to deal with all that. So from a, from a national reputation and where the programs are, Houston, I believe, is the better job because you got to look at it. Baylor uh, didn't get the death penalty. They didn't get any, right, right now, any harsh sanctions. But it's going to feel like that. They've got one commitment, I believe, right now for 2017. Right. Uh, and you've got them coming off of a – a really bad end to the season, uh, win-loss type uh, record, that, that, that stuff. So uh, the coach that comes in, it's not going to be an easy challenge. I think the person who comes into the Houston job inherits a, a film solid roster. You're going to compete in the American Athletic Conference. And, and next year at this time, you should once again be in a New Year's Six Bowl. So while you don't get into that 14 playoff for the uh, – the college football playoff, you can make an argument that this club hasn't tasted that yet. So are you, you're not any worse being in the American than if you were, you know, being at Baylor in the Big 12 because, you know, they, they haven't gotten any further than you have the last couple of years in terms of that playoff. You know, you mentioned earlier that the death blow maybe to Herman staying at U of H was when the Big 12 elected not to expand that whole weird debacle with uh, Bowlesby and all those guys kind of fumbling all over themselves. But I do think that it's key to U of H's future to be in one of those Power 5 conferences. Obviously, I'm an alum. I'm biased. I feel like U of H belongs in that discussion. Uh, I know that Dr. Couture and, and Tillman Fertitta have talked a lot about how U of H belongs there and they're pushing for it. Just looking at the landscape of college football, what are the opportunities for U of H to sort of move up in the world in the near to mid-future, and, and are there any of those Power 5 slots or expansion opportunities that are kind of facing us that we can look forward to? Well, first of all, you're right. As far as, I mean, you, they're going to have to they have to sustain what they're doing, and that doesn't come cheap. So it's a matter of how long can they keep their current pace uh, and not be in a Power 5. Now, to, to answer the question, you know, we're still looking a few years down the road because, one, you have to wonder, will the Big 12 ever – revisit it and if they do how many people will even take them serious anymore after how they went about this this last expansion um, <laughs> search or possibility i mean they a lot of people you know tillman Fertitta called it a sham and that you know the stuff <laughs> that they were asking schools you could go on uh, wikipedia and find out for yourself you didn't need the schools to invest all this money <laughs> to tell you what they didn't know i mean it's just like saying I think Salma Hayek is hot. I don't need to go research it. It's right there in front of me. <laughs> you, you don't have to. You don't, and that shows you how low I am if I'm throwing her out there. Uh, but, no, <laughs> I, I, I think 
man, how did I get off on the Salma Hayek there? That's a weird direction. <laughs> we're I'm not, we're not complaining. So. Hey, but uh, <laughs> but no, it, it in in the future, if it's not the Big Twelve, I I would think that the Pac-12 would be a landing spot. They've always talked about that footprint to get into Texas. Depending on ha- what happens with the Big Twelve and the grant of rights and the Longhorns, you know, where they go, where Oklahoma goes. That, to me, will be the other one. The other ones just don't make sense. You know, the ACC seems pretty stable now with their network. The Big Ten and the SEC aren't fit. There's nobody else out there. Now, unless they, Mike Oresco finally gets what he wants and this Power Five becomes a Power Six, which nobody thinks is even going to happen, that's probably the only one to look out with. You just mentioned the Pac-12, and you know that kind of reminds me of uh, you know Lane Kevin, who spent a lot of time in the Pac-12 as a coordinator at USC, then a head coaching, you know, before he was fired on the tarmac uh, after one of USC's games. But uh, he's a guy that is being rumored as a potential coaching candidate, and speculation is that he interviewed on Sunday for the head coaching job at U of H. And we've seen you know names like Les Miles, uh, Dana Holgerson, uh, Major Applewhite, uh, Todd Orlando thrown out there for the potential U of H coaching vacancy. You know, if, if you're sitting uh, in the athletic offices at U of H with Juracek and uh, Tillman Fertitta, who are you looking to hire, or who do you see as the best fit for the program moving forward? Well, the three guys that I think right now are Les Miles, Major Applewhite, and Lincoln Riley. Those would be my three. And I say that one less comes with a lot less uh, – hoops to jump through right now you, you don't have to necessarily do anything he's not employed uh he, he's got a proven track record he may set your offense back a while unless he brings in a great offensive coordinator but but i, I think that that's going to be given serious consideration lincoln riley he, he is on the younger side but they're intrigued i'm told about just him offensively and and being at a a, a school like oklahoma uh although his offense didn't do too well in the in the season opener against Houston, so maybe that that ends up being a strike against them. And then if you want to keep the the continuity and things going, you know, I hear Major Applewhite has a lot of support. Now that doesn't mean Todd Orlando doesn't have support. I think that of, of the two, I could see Major Applewhite staying in Houston in the long run, and Todd Orlando joining uh, Tom Herman in Austin. So those are three. You know, they are wild stuff right now. I think uh, definitely cooled off. And I don't mention Dana Holgerson because right now it's just – that one's a wild card. I, you know, I've said all along that I think that he was up there among the candidates. But now that the Oregon job is open, I think he might look that direction now. When, when I was told that he was up on their list immediately after Tom Herman was fired, Oregon was still uh, not available. And I think Oregon will, will make a serious run for him. So – don't discount Dana Holgerson, but right now, I, I, those three that I gave you are, are the, the. If I was in the room, those would probably be the ones that I would be talking about with, with the U of H officials. So when Herman came in, obviously much lauded and, and still was on his way out as well, a hot young name or whatever, sort of an offensive guru, but I think probably. Houston's always been offensively uh, fun to watch, at least, I think, as long as I've been going to school there and following them. But the defense was the largest improvement I saw. So I I wonder, for an incoming head coach, whoever it ends up being, those names we listed or someone else we don't know about yet, whoever Collegiate Sports Associates comes up with, uh, what is job number one for them? What what does a successful head coach in this program need to be able to do? Well, if it's it's, any of those guys, yeah, you definitely – 
they're gonna they're gonna have the money. I think close to what they were giving Tom Herman to to go out and get assistant coaches. If you can keep a Todd Orlando, I think you tr- you attempt to. I I don't think that's gonna happen just because they can throw that kind of money at him and Austin. He could be a D coordinator there making over a million. He's the highest paid group of five coach right now, but you know he can get a considerable bump over there. But but I think you know a new coach. The first challenge is if you're a Les Miles. Well, then you need to go get you an offensive coordinator. If you're a, a major Applewhite, do you entertain uh, asking Todd Orlando to stick with him? And you know, I don't—that's a long shot. But you, you know, you try to keep some of the the components in place. Uh, and then it's you know not knowing some of the other guys in terms of who their 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 coaching training surrounds around you know the realm. You know that that will certainly play into who those guys would do, but. Things are in place. You have a, a quarterback next year, you know, several of them that could compete for the job. But Kyle Allen, former A&M quarterback, is, is to be your starter if he doesn't leave. And there's no indication that he is going to leave. You have the anchor of your defense and Ed Oliver. So this, this is a very attractive situation. And, again, you're playing in the American. You should compete. You should be where Western Michigan is right now. So there's a, there's a lot of pros for the next coach to come in and not too many question marks, just, uh, you know, just basically kind of arranging the pieces the way you want them. Yeah, it's nice that you mentioned Western Michigan. P.J. Fleck doing a hell of a job with that program. In fact, we had Matt Mosley on the podcast last week, and he said that he would be the ideal energetic fit for U of H. But, uh, you know, kind of going back to the coaching search for a moment, uh, Tillman Fertitta has said that uh, he wants a guy that's going to be there uh, for the long haul. He looks at, you know, U of H as a premier job and wants to put in a huge buyout, especially early on in that coaching uh, contract. And my question for you is not necessarily about the buyout, but more with Tillman Fertitta. Uh, You know, this past week, he essentially was going around doing a media tour, talking on uh, the coaching position, the Big 12, uh, you know, just Tom Herman in general. And my question for you is, is it helpful to have a regent going out there on that media tour, or does it sort of undermine uh, Hunter Juracek at all? Well, in the end of the day, um, Tillman Fertitas and, and Renew Couture are, are, are the ones doing the hire. And that's not saying uh, or diminishing Hunter Juracek's role. He's, he's very much a part of this, but I mean, they don't call him the billion dollar buyer for nothing. And, you know, he's already <laughs> written a, a $20 million check for the uh, renovation of the basketball arena. And, and in the end, they all get together. Renew Couture will, will sign off on it. But it, it, I guess it's, it's two things. I think, you know, one, Tillman Fertitta doing what he's doing, um, it's an attempt to raise the profile. I, I don't think it hurts them to let the nation know that. Hey, we're we're Houston, and and we're going to go after some some pretty big names. Now, the the interesting thing is when those names got re- released or started to float out there, uh, the reaction by the fan bases of those schools were like Dana Holgerson, why would he ever leave a Power Five to a Group of Five? Well, there's history. You know, Tillman Fertitta knows Dana Holgerson. You know, there's history with Les Miles. He knows the Houston area. He's recruited Texas. Uh, you know, guys like that, where they, they could go out and they feel like they could land a big fish. So I don't I don't think it's a problem having uh, one of the, the heads of your uh, administration going out there. I mean, it, it, now it's, it's, it's dangerous if he's just saying a bunch of stuff and, and it's just drawing the wrong kind of attention. But, you know, I think he's, he's done a pretty good job of not tipping their hand too much, but kind of maybe getting a fan base excited that, 
needed a little bit of a pep after after what happened with Herman. Well, kind of a mixed bag there, Joseph. You sort of depressed me a little bit with all the possible decommitment talk, but uh, but I am fired up and excited about the head coaching search. So uh, we appreciate your insight, man. It's always good to talk to you, and uh, especially about U of H, which you are the guy. Uh, obviously, I think that everybody that listens to this show, that it, particularly as a U of H fan, should follow you on Twitter. I, I don't have your Twitter handle handy here. What, how can people find you online? It's just my name, Joseph underscore Duarte, D-U-A-R-T-E. And, and you're right, you know, I hate to be sometimes the bearer of bad news on this, but it, it's not all rainbows and puppies and, and, and stuff. And I, and I think people get that. This this is an interesting uh, search. Uh, the Tom Herman one, it was at least a, a little bit more focused, and, and they knew pretty much that it was going to be Herman, or they, and he was their, their guy from the beginning. This one can go in so many directions, so I would tell your listeners to certainly stay tuned because it could still be a bumpy ride. Well, as far as your appearances on this show, you're batting a 1,000, so we definitely recommend they go follow you at Joseph underscore Duarte. Joseph, thank you so much for your time, man, and we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thank you, guys. Have a good holiday. Closing time. Another great episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Thanks to Joseph Duarte for joining us, talking a little Cougar football and what is going on over there in uh, the third ward. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff coming up with uh, U of H. Uh, Obviously looking for a new head coach. Uh, There was some speculation over the weekend, I guess, that Art Bryles was being considered for the job. And this happened after we spoke with Joseph Duarte. Obviously, U of H turned it down, shut it down, you know, any speculation on Saturday with uh, both Hunter Juracek and Tillman Fertitta denying any claim. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much U of H shutting it down. It was Tillman Fertitta taking to his personal Twitter account to shut it down. Billion dollar buyer. Yeah, absolutely. The guy. Well, well, all this kind of got started because Tillman Fertitta gave an interview on a local radio show about... Uh, our Bryles is potentially a head coach, and he was kind of a little new. But until or if or when we can get full clarity, I can't see us going there. I would love for Art Bryles to be on our super short list, he said. Now, wh- what that reads to me is, I mean, that's a pretty conclusive denial from Fertitta on Twitter. Absolutely. And then a pretty, I mean, for considering the situation, a ringing endorsement in the radio show, I feel like maybe he got some clarity in, in the intervening days, which made him consider. I don't know that he got, he was just talked to. I don't know that he had any clarity from uh, Baylor Board of Regents because he said that he was going to speak with some of the regents. I think he got clarity from Dr. Couture saying, look, no, we're not having this. Good we're, not having, we're not having our bars. Yeah, I'm thrilled for her then. That's leadership, and that's exactly what you need to do. Because I love Tillman out front there, uh, signing the checks, you know, being the loud mouthpiece or whatever. But, I mean, occasionally I think he probably needs to be reined in. That was an occasion when I think Dr. Couture, if she did step in there, great. That, that gives me more confidence in the university's leadership because I absolutely want nothing to do with Art Browse. And now at this point, uh, it seems like the school doesn't either. But that begs to a bigger question, I think. It's something that I did ask Joseph Duarte on whether or not it's a good idea to have, you know, the chairman of your board of regents out there speaking on behalf of the university like that. Essentially, usurping uh, the power that the athletic director has. And I know at Baylor, I don't know that we'd want the Board of Regents, anybody out there. I mean, maybe you want Drayton McLean speaking on you, but Drayton McLean is not as, he doesn't have that personality as someone like Tillman Fertitta. But Kevin, how do you feel about him essentially running that athletic department, at least from a media perspective? Uh, I don't mind it, and especially if he's able to walk back things he said that uh, turn out to be... um things he wished he hadn't said or things the university wish he hadn't said. I think this is a great example of how this can work where he is kind of a loud mouth. He does say something that maybe I don't like or agree with, but they all put their heads together and he comes out sounding you know pretty conclusive and contrite. So I don't have any problem with it as long as he's not some kind of maverick or loose cannon. It doesn't appear from the way this turned out that he is. That's a fair point. But overall, uh, Joseph Torte, another great guest. Second time that we've had him on the show. 
Hey, he's a little tough to get. He's tougher to get on the show than Pat Forty, but we always appreciate Duarte's time. He's a terrific follow on Twitter. If you're a U of H fan, I'm sure you're already familiar with him. If you're not, uh, familiarize yourself. Yeah, no, I, it was a great interview. I, I'm, I actually kind of have a thought. About what was your favorite part of the interview, Jeremy? The whole thing. Well, just name about. one part you really liked. More like the, than the, the, the entire thing, Kevin. But you haven't uh, listened to the interview. Oh, I've, I've listened to it like three times, oh, like, okay. like, like since we've been having this conversation. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, no, th- but about, yeah, no, I, I could not imagine for a second Baylor Board of Regents ever speaking publicly in the way Tillman Fertitta does. He's sort of a, he's sort of a maverick in the way that he does that. I mean, considering all of them are in hiding. But you also, is. you also don't have anybody that has his sort of influence on social media that has a, a network, not a network television show. You don't have the billion dollar buyer. Show. Yeah, I mean. I don't see Drake McLean getting on his phone tweeting stuff out. Drake McLean's not going to get on the local radio here in Houston and, you know, discuss everything. Uh, you know, uh, Tillman, I think, made two, three appearances, something like that this week. And you're just not going to see that with anyone on the Baylor Board of Regents. It's a pretty dangerous place in Houston to be between him and a camera. But again, I don't have any problem with it and any problem with his need for attention. I share it. <laughs> I certainly don't share the platform he has yet, but uh, we'll see how that works out in a couple of years. But <laughs> you use the caveat yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm on a mission, but, uh, but no, I have no issue with it. And it worked out fine. I love having uh, that head of the snake who's kind of a loud mouth, brash guy as long as he's not overstepping what I think his boundaries are, and it doesn't appear that he's doing that. Yeah, and so interesting, and uh, Baylor, probably going to name a head coach this week. Jeremy, who do you like? Uh, gosh, it, this changes every five minutes, depending on who you ask. Uh, Mike McIntyre making pretty clear, I have to take him in his word, that he has no interest in the Baylor job. Uh, right now, I'm really liking Philip Montgomery. Obviously, he comes with a few strings attached, being our Browsers offensive coordinator up until 2014. Um, I really like him, though, from a scheme standpoint. And, of course, you know, uh, the Pepper Hamilton investigation cleared him of any involvement. Did it clear him? I, that, I, I'm under the impression that it did. Because we don't know anything. I'm under the impression that it did, at least from the standpoint of Tulsa Athletics. But that being said, I would really like to But, see I mean, the Pepper Hamilton report didn't clear Ian McCon. Liberty University hired him this past week. I know. which And they, they released a very interesting statement about reaching a different conclusion about his involvement. Yeah, but I bet. That, I mean, that being said, what, you know, if we're just talking coaches from a coaching ability, ability to recruit, ability to develop players, I really like Philip Montgomery. I also love PJ Fleck. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think wish. he's. I, I think, think he goes somewhere like that, Oregon. That guy, that guy is either bipolar or does a lot of meth before games because he is fantastic to watch before, during, and after games. The guy is just incredible. Anyways, interesting comparisons there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, PJ Fleck, Western Michigan, they are heading to the Cotton Bowl. So congratulations to uh, them. Just keep on rolling the boat to Dallas and then continue to row it south to Waco, Texas. We would (laughs) absolutely like that uh, here on the Brazos River. We have a river right outside the stadium. Like, PJ, it makes sense. Row the boat. Row the boat. Row the boat right down the Brazos. Yeah, so there's PJ. Um, I think Chad Morris might be out of consideration as of now. Of course, insiders will tell you he's not. Uh, another name that's been thrown around is this Brom guy, Western Kentucky. Yeah, Western Kentucky football. Uh, Hilltoppers have won two straight Conference USA championships. Uh, he consistently has them in the top 10 in the country in total offense. Uh, defensive numbers are decent. They're top 25. So uh, my concern with him, he's got a great offense, great system, but can he recruit in the state of Texas? I don't know. That's don't the kicker. Know. Yeah, and, and, and that's really vital. I mean, that's what kills coaches that come here from out of state is that they can't recruit if they can't make contact with high schoolers and high school coaches. That just doesn't come, you know. And Chad Morris had that advantage coming in because he had deep connections and deep roots to Texas. But who knows what's going to happen? I think it's a complete toss-up. Um, I, I, I tend to believe some of what I'm reading online, and that's that Mac Rhodes is keeping everything very tight. 
and there's less than a dozen, less than a half dozen people who actually know what's going on. And I'll probably stay that way until we get an announcement from Baylor. So what about U of H, Kevin? Who do you want as the next head coach? Who do I want as the next head coach? Well, Sean Pendergast, a uh, friend of the show, a uh, frequent contributor here on the show. Frequent? He's been out twice, right? Twice. Yeah, okay, that's frequent in my book. He listed in the Houston Press uh, this last week his top 10 candidates. Some of them I don't think were serious. Charlie Strong, I don't think was serious. Les Miles is probably not serious either. Although I'd had no problem with Charlie Strong. I think that'd be a very interesting pick. I'd love to have. Uh, but if he does it, he loses, what, the $11 million buyout? I think the man wants to work, though, right? But would you wait a year so you can keep that buyout? Like, would you not coach a year so you can keep $11 million? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, I wonder what the... I don't know the details of the transaction there, so you may be right if it's as simple as just waiting a year and getting all of that money. Right. But, but certainly, I mean, I, so for that reason, he may be out of contention. I like Charlie Strong as a pick. Uh, at the, on his list at number three, Mike Leach, which I think would be a disaster. I've fortunately not heard that anywhere else. That may just be Sean. Um, He's beloved up in... Washington. He's Absolutely not beloved to me. I don't. I can't stand <laughs> the guy. I want nothing to do with him. Dana Holgerson's like the chalk pick. I think he was obviously at U of H for two years. But he just he just signed a contract extension on Saturday. There you go. After the uh, the Baylor game was announced uh, before the press conference. Uh, so ten win season. I believe it's going to pay him. Uh, around $4 million. So I don't think he's ever really seriously in contention anyway, obviously. Uh, he leveraged it for a contract extension, so that worked out for him. Yeah, great news for him. I mean, good guy, too, from everything I could tell, but I wasn't really excited about that name either. He picked Lincoln Riley, uh, the Oklahoma offensive coordinator, as the top guy at the top of his list, and he drew some comparisons to Herman, a very I hot see it. coordinator, young yeah. guy, that H-Town takeover kind of vibe. Uh, I don't hate that. I honestly, I, I don't know enough about the guy yet. I'll do some research, but uh, but just it, it does kind of get me excited. Yeah, I think so, too. I think he would get the fan base a little more jacked up than somebody like major Applewhite, but oh, no major. Yes. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, who the Cougs pick. Who, my, my pick is Todd Baylor picks. Todd Orlando. You I, think he's going to get it? Well, I don't know if he's going to get it. I would be my desired pick. The guy that I think that I most want to get it. Yeah. That I forced you the most success with. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the pick at all, but I would like to see Todd Orlando in that job. I just love what he brings. to the So pick. my concern with that is U of H. They went with the defensive guy with uh, Levine. Oh my a, God. A few years ago. And that didn't well, work out Western well. Kentucky, which is very successful. Yeah. Now, by the way, that's the Levine effect is what I call that <laughs> so, but do you make that hire again that internal hire to move away from an offensive coach because you moved away from an offensive coach when you hired Levine I mean you had Bryles then you had someone and now you had another successful coach that was offensive minded do you do that do you move away and go back to the defensive focus I, I don't know if it's as simple as that I think that it's again we've talked about it countless times it's an administrative position or what have you I love what Todd Orlando does in terms of his relationship with the kids I think he's a good recruiter uh, I, I just I don't know I, Lincoln Riley would be your, your converse pick there I think those are two great choices if you can get either one of them I mean you can get Todd Orlando he's freaking here but yeah. but uh, if you can get Lincoln Riley you probably take that but uh, I just I don't know I, I'm always loyal to the Houston guys I always want to see them kind of be promoted from within the Levine uh, hire was an unmitigated disaster I wonder if sort of like a, a Derek David Carr situation just that knowledge of what happened in the past might prevent them from promoting internally only time will tell uh, I, why do you pay uh, $150,000 for a coaching search if you're just going to hire the guy that's right there under your nose too so yeah. I, I don't know nothing's pointing in the direction of Orlando but that's my that's my dark horse favorite pick certainly all right we'll see what happens and uh, we'll probably be discussing the new head coaches of both Baylor and U of H on next week's episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. But thanks again to Joseph Duarte. And it looks like uh, Jeremy wants to step in here for a no, second. No, no, no. Sorry. I was, I was 
gesturing towards you because there is a reportedly some offers made for coaches uh, for Baylor, but we'll but we'll talk about that next week when it actually happens. Yeah, we will no longer speculate on rumors and just deal with facts. Hopefully next week, as both Baylor and U of H had a head coach. But uh, thanks again to Joseph Dorte for joining us on this week's episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Again, this has been episode seventy one of the podcast, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening this week. And on behalf of my co-hosts Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. Remember this week, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.